Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations regarding theology, culture, and the life of the church in the culture. Uh, Today we will be continuing a conversation we began a little bit ago through Oliver O'Donovan's work, Begotten or Made, or rather, themes related to it um, as he he explores the issue of of medical ethics and things related to uh, ethical decisions in a culture that has moved in a direction, a technological culture, where the line between what we make and what we are uh, has become blurred. We were, it's uh, people and, and uh, IKEA furniture uh, seem to be interchangeable in the way we relate to them. Uh, so with that, or last time we talked about uh, just the general issue, but today we're going to be addressing a more specific issue, that which is raised by the uh, issue of transgender and transsexualism. It's been in the news a lot lately. There was the, I believe, Time cover on that. Matt, oh, by the way, joined by Matt Anderson and Alistair Roberts on this episode. Yeah, um, thanks for remembering us. I, we appreciate that. I was just, just going to monologue for a half hour here. Um, <laughs> Alistair would have w- patiently waited Britishly. As he does. <laughs> for me to stop talking, uh, but yeah, I mean, what, what you got the Time cover uh, of of that, or was it was it another magazine I don't buy? It was Time. Yeah, there you go. Um, who Does anyone buy magazines? Time at this point? I just I just wait for the internet to tell me which stories are worth my time. In- I look at the so that we can use it for illustrations for things, but not beyond that, right? Yeah, and I don't actually have to read the article. Um, no, but I mean, this is up in the news. It's a, it's a hot topic. It's it's relevant and it's pastorally going to become very important um, for the last, I don't know, how many years, 10 years, 15 years, the uh, the same-sex attraction issue has been at the forefront, but the rest of those letters, you know, LGBT, you know, all of them are coming to the forefront of our cultural conversation, and so a church that is going to maintain a an ethical witness in the culture, as well as a pastoral uh, sensitivity to the people in our pews, uh, needs to be wrestling with these concerns, which is why we're grateful for the conversations um, uh, that, that O'Donovan raises. We're going to open with a quotation here. Um, and I, I don't know if, if Matt wants to read it. Uh, it's, a, it's an opening quotation that, that will kind of frame our discussion, and we will excerpt this and place this under in, in the show notes. So if you want to go to neworthodoxy.com, and, and see the quotation in full that will be made available to you. But Matt, go ahead and um, intro us with that chunk. I will. So here we go. The sex into which we have been born, assuming that it is physiologically unambiguous, is given to us to be welcomed as a gift of God. The task of psychological maturity, for it is a moral task and not merely an event which may or may not transpire, involves accepting this gift and learning to love it, even though we may have to acknowledge that it does not come to us without problems. Our task is to discern the possibilities for personal relationship which are given to us with this biological sex and to seek to develop them in accordance with our individual vocations. Those for whom this task has been comparatively unproblematic, though I suppose that no human being alive has been without some sexual problems, are in no position to pronounce any judgment on those for whom accepting their sex has been a task so difficult that they have fled from it into denial. No one can say with any confidence what factors have made these pressures so severe. Nevertheless, we cannot 
and must not conceive of physical sexuality as a mere raw material with which we can construct a form of psychosexual self-expression, which is determined only by the free impulse of our spirits. Responsibility in sexual development implies a responsibility to nature, to the ordered good of the bodily form which we have been given. And that implies that we must make the necessary distinction between the good of the bodily form as such and the various problems that it poses to us personally in our individual experience. This is a comment that applies not only to who, uh, not only to this very striking and unusually distressing problem of transsexualism, but to a whole range of other sexual problems as well. So there you have it. Th these are these are the things that will launch on it. I, I just want to reaffirm the pastoral note you heard in that quote. As we discuss these issues of transgender and transsexuality, uh, you know, Matt Alster and I want to really reaffirm um, there is no place in the Christian life or in the Christian community for bullying, for the um, disrespecting or, or the devaluing of persons who, who consider themselves to be transgender or, or trans and or struggle with these issues. Um, they are image bearers, uh, loved by God. Um, died for on the cross and, and resurrected to new life for. Uh, and so, so these, these are people worthy of, of dignity and respect. And, and also, as we deal with these issues, um, we're not necessarily commenting on the specific individual stories of people struggling with these issues. So you just want to ha have that at the outset. Um, but, but with that said, uh, let's start to engage with the issue. Matt, Alistair, um, Reading, reading this quote, reading this, this, this idea of the body and, and the idea of sexual gender, psychological maturity as a task, as a gift from God. I don't know if maybe, maybe Matt, you want to open us up with that. Well, yeah, idea. I mean, there's lots here to talk about, and it's, it's such a fascinating subject, and it's such a difficult subject. And I think one of the, one of the fascinating aspects of God's economy is that the things which he gives to us, he gives to us in such a way that we have to respond, we, we have a responsibility in responding to them, to welcome them, and to incorporate them into our own narratives, our own experiences, our own stories, if you, if you want to use that type of language. At, at one point, I, I don't actually remember which book O'Donovan says this in, um, he talks about the children of Israel, um, who are given the promised land and you know they're on the cusp of it and um, it's been given to them by God but it has to be taken they've got to go all the way up into the hill country and uh, the story of Joshua is a story of the failure of the people of God to fully take that which has been given to them um, and it, it seems to me that that's actually deeply problematic to us in our society, that, that we don't actually um, like, as, as an organizing principle, we don't like the fact that we are responsive to things that are already given, that our freedom, our, um, our flourishing, are subordinate and, and are framed by uh, that which has, exists outside of us and that to which um, we are ordered towards. And in that sense, I think uh, 
it's 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 a real problem for all of us. I mean, look. The, the just sex, just to, just to clarify yeah. what you're saying, you, you're talking about the, the 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 limits of the created reality that we're coming into. The fact that we come into a world that is already set up. We're on a stage that's already been set, and so our freedom takes place within a world that it's it's constrained. We have yeah. choices, but we can't choose what choices, what options we have. Yeah, that's right. The, the world is not of our making. We respond to it, and our bodies are not of our making. And with respect to sex, you know, transgender tra as, as an issue, it gets very, very personal because um, obviously sexual desires and sexual identity and one's relationship to one's own body are, is massively difficult. But if, if we were to take the same, similar sorts of questions, not the same, but similar sorts of questions and remove them outside of the realm of sex, there are all sorts of aspects about my body that limit me in ways that I have had to grow into as a part of my maturation. I don't know if you guys know this, but I am not an NBA basketball player today. I, I, it's just, it's deeply, it was at one point deeply frustrating to me to realize that my body is such that it was never going to be in the NBA. Like I, that yeah. was just a vocational possibility that had um, been uh, placed on me within sort of the timing of when I was born, um, but mostly just the, the, the limits, the structure of the body that I have and the way in which I was formed and formed myself from a very early age on. And recognizing those limitations, entering into them and welcoming them is essential for was essential for me to sort of open up other possibilities for flourishing for my life um yeah. again not nearly as significant as sex no not at all but the That's same that. sort of maturation process i think has to go on in in, in every realm tim keller has a i'm going to ask alistair wave in, in a second but tim keller has an example like that in his book the freedom uh, the reason for god and he talks about freedom and, and, and our ability to become what you want do you be anything you want he says yeah that, that that's a general truism that people people say but honestly if you're five if you're five six weigh 160 pounds you are not free to become an nfl linebacker like that's just not that's just not in the cards for you uh that's not a freedom that you can you can embrace it's not one of your choices and so accepting accepting limitations and finitude is just that is that is what it means to be created. That is what it means to be not infinite, not God. Um, Alistair, though, uh, in conversation with this, what 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 what's what's the subject that's kind of um, grabbing you here? The the live issue that, that needs to be to be grasped most in that in saying that quote or, or going off of what Matt has said. A number of things come to mind, but first of all, I think there's another quote that from O'Donovan when he says, none of us should see our sexuality as a mere self-expression and forget that we can express ourselves sexually only because we participate in this generic form and aspire to this generic good. And mm. seeing ourselves as free, not merely because we can ignore all external limitations, all bodily restraints, all um, cultural um, norms and express ourselves freely despite those, but rather seeing these things as preconditions, as 
invitations as things to be welcomed into which we find um, our world opened up in different ways. I mean, it's like the gift of language. Language comes to us from outside, but as we receive that gift, we can express ourselves in ways and more fully than we ever could if we just had our own private languages that we expressed ourselves in this private self-expressive form. Rather by entering into this form that's given to us, we can, ex we can achieve a far richer degree of expression than we ever would if we just aim for pure self-expression. Hmm. But I, okay, so I've, you know, we make the point generally, but Alistair, it seems like the rubber's really got to meet the road here because the generic form, which we're talking about, is sex, and and the 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 biological reproduction that is inherent in um, human sexuality. And welcoming that as a gift is going to be uh, asymmetrically burdensome on people, right? Um, I, there, there's a way in which, um, I mean, just if you look at men and women, uh, I, my own sexual uh, sexuality is present to me in my existence in a very different way than a woman does. Um, and so what, what, what constitutes welcoming this aspect as a gift is um, just, I just want to raise the stakes from where I set them and say, okay, now, now let's really dive into it and say, what, you know, how do you handle it when, when these things are much more present to us and much more central to us than yeah. the NBA? Yeah, welcoming being a man and welcoming being a woman, a woman has to welcome the... Uh, the idea of maybe carrying something in her womb for many months. She has to welcome the reproductive process in a way that's possibly more intimate than a man does. And that's a, that's a real, okay, that's a task. That's a task. But, Alistair, playing off your, lang your, your metaphor of language, I was going to ask you, with transgender or transsexualism, the person who experiences their body in different ways is, is is uncomfortable with the given body, right? And so it's a transgender, transsexual. We're not talking about somebody who's intersex, who or or you know, in, in coarser language, hermaphrodite, somebody who whose sex is biologically ambiguous. We're talking about someone who's biologically unambiguous, but has a psychological. Um, there's a psychological disjunction from the way they experience themselves and the body that they find that they that they are that they have. Um, I, I was going to say. It's it's different to accept language when you've got a heavy heavy speech impediment, right? Like it's different. It's difficult to accept language when you when you when your words don't seem to form, when your tongue seems unwieldy in your own mouth, like it doesn't belong there. Um, so what I mean, what would you? Uh, is it okay then to 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 accept some mispronunciations, uh, some 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 alternative pronunciations at that in that case with, with these special cases. Um, I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what do you guys say to that kind of thought? One of the things that I think we find in scripture is a recognition of the existence of exceptions, um, that the rule is always maintained and the general pattern of um, marriage, male and female, and 
yet there is a space made for exceptions. So, for instance, Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about the existence of eunuchs born that way from their mother's womb, also eunuchs made by men and eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And recognizing the existence of those exceptions who are not called to the vocation of marriage, who are not seen as contrary to the vocation of marriage, but rather in their um, celibacy and their faithfulness and that calling that by nature or circumstance has been forced upon them or by choice in the case of those who are um, eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. They glorify God and they uphold the pattern. Um, and I think the recognition of the existence of exceptions and the existence of norms alongside each other is something that both sides in many of these debates tend to be quite poor at doing. On the one hand, you see often the exceptions pressed to negate the existence of norms or dissolve the norms or to present an alternative norm that exists alongside the more common norm. On the other hand, we have the pressing of this norm in a way that would deny the existence of the exception, the ambiguous case um, that would push it to conform to a pattern that it may not be able to conform to. And so I think recognising those two elements, I think, is important. And in the case of transsexualism, I think that will involve a, um, an insistence upon the fact that there is a male-female pattern but also, I think, a sensitivity to the fact that people will, certain people will have psychological issues reconciling themselves to their biological sex. And I think this is a pastoral issue, but also one that we have theological and dominical grounds for um, giving more sensitive approaches to than often we give. Okay, so well, I'll let me, try. Let me, let me, I, 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 I was going to ask you guys a question. Look. Oh, come on, come on, man. Come on. I'm just a question guy. All right, whatever. Okay, Matt. All right, I'm coming back with this one, though. Yeah, I, I just want to know, with the, with the language of exceptions and norms, um, how you hold those together. Because if, if you frame um, people who are wrestling with transgender questions as exceptions, it sounds a little, um, to use the, the term that's in vogue, marginalizing. Right? Are you worried at all, Alistair, in your taxonomy about um, pushing people to the fringes precisely by um, treating them as exceptions to this norm? And, and related to that, is, the, is this language of norms, what kind of norms are these? Are these moral norms, um, statistical norms? Uh, what, what, what's the force of the norms here? It depends upon the particular case. In the case of marriage and um, male and female i think we're talking about natural norms and also to an extent moral norms when we're talking about marriage for instance the marriage bed is to be honored and um fornication is wrong in every single case there's no exception to where fornication is permitted um so sexual relations are to be reserved for relations between man and woman in the context of marriage but yet there is the recognition that there are other people who are not called to marriage or by nature or some other circumstances that they're excluded from it and in that case there are exceptions but yet even as exceptions they are welcomed by God and affirmed as those who have equal vocations within the kingdom of heaven that they are not marginalized in that sense the kingdom of heaven is a place where those who do not necessarily fit the norms the people who are um, blind lame deaf dumb all 
these people who would be marginalized from society have places as equal members of the table at the table. Um, and so in that sense, I don't think it is marginalizing. Yet it is a recognition that there is a pattern of male and female and union in marriage that the scripture upholds in Old and New Testament. And any challenge or undermining of that, an attack upon that, is something that is ruled out. Okay, here's where here's where my question comes in, I suppose. Um, related to that, there is the issue of fairness, because this element. Okay, so the marginalized are included, but they're 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 included in a way that means that they cannot participate in what seems to be uh, a universal good. Um, you know, uh, people with transgender um, feelings or or orientations or uh, still not quite sure the the proper terminology there, but they want relationships of romantic love and affirmation and why I just read the story of a of a transgender um uh, man man to woman who's who just was joyfully found a relationship with a man who was willing to affirm um the person as her as as a, as a woman and and just it, there was this interesting element of they they want to participate in the universal norm of man woman uh, and be accepted as man woman uh, in, in that in that kind of uh, pair, so there's this element where they want to be part of that universal experience, and yet because of their biological sex, um, it seems that they would be excluded from that. So there's this challenge of fairness. Okay, it's, it's fine for you to say your your mind and your and your body match up in a sense, um, and it's fine for you to tell me that okay, but but you're still included at the same at the same table. Um, and this raises the second issue. It's one I think I've raised with you guys in, in a different uh, context is we talk about the givenness of the body, right? But in a sense, why are the sexual organs, in a sense, given or the chromosomes given more priority as body than um, the psychological status of somebody, especially if especially if that psychological mindset of, of male-female uh, has been affected by, say, hormonal uh, differentiation. So, so the hormonal firing goes goes weird, uh, not not normative or not just you know general. And, and so there there's actually a bio a somewhat biological basis in their gender dysphoria. Why then give priority to the you know the the, the genitals than the you know the gray matter? You know why why is that body more body than the gray matter in a sense? Um, so, well, so the two questions that are related, I'm posing. I'm assuming you guys have an answer, but I'm, and this is the question that people will have. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear what Alistair has to say about this. I, I mean, I have so many questions about what you mean when you say there's a biological basis. I mean, if you go to neurological, um, neurological things that are neurological often have, I, I think that there are, is such a thing as mental causation to neurological situations. Um, so even while there are... Um, uh, oh man, we just went to your mind. Yeah, I know, I know, this is, getting, this is getting hard, right? So even though there are such things as hormonal imbalances that definitely deepen uh, grooves within uh, the brain and um, reinforce neurological pathways and so on and so forth, that um uh for instance depressant uh, uh 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 drugs for depression can help break those grooves and i'm all for that um yeah i do think that 
neuroplasticity is a real thing and that the brain is is what causes brains to form the grooves that they have and that the, the, to release the hormones that they have and so on and so forth. I'm kind of deliberately agnostic about causes. I just want to be in, because in part, identifying the causation, whether it's neurological or not, is not going to do everything that we need either pastorally or morally to help us help form ourselves and help sort out how then we shall live. Um, okay. One so of I'm, the points, yeah. One of the points that O'Donovan makes that's very important here is the distinction between causality and behavior and causality and biomechanical systems. And the tendency to collapse the psychological into the biological. Now, this sort of determinism that would result from that is something that's been very strongly resisted within um, feminist thought, within many other forms of gender theory. But within this context, it tends to come back with a vengeance. And it's interesting actually seeing these countervailing currents within um, LGBT thought. But on this particular point, if we're going to collapse the psychological into the biological, I think we face very significant questions about the relationship between human freedom and um, between human psychology and our biological condition, between mind and matter and all these other sorts of questions that as Christians, we need to be very wary about what we're getting ourselves into when we so easily make the equation between a psychological condition and a biological one. Right. So, well, but there's also, to, to try to state my point a little bit more clearly, there's a neurocentrism that gets, uh, that, that, that often gets attached to this reduction of the psychological to the biological. It almost always has to do with what's going on in the brain. Um, mm -hmm. Or, so that's one direction. I'll actually qualify this and say there's another direction, which is the genetic uh, reductivism, yeah. where people are looking for genetic tendencies. For these things um, and trying to give biological explanations that go in that direction. I think both of those are obviously interesting and important, but uh, when I think about my body, this is where there's a why I really want to push which what biological are we speaking of? Because the biological that I know best is not neurons, is not um, genes. The biological that I know best are, in fact, uh, my arms, my legs, reproductive organs, right? There's all these aspects to my body that inform and shape my experience in ways that the what, whatever third-party perspective we take, whether it's genetics or the neurosciences, are going to necessarily fail to capture. And one reason why I think we would keep uh, reproductive organs as an essential part of one's um, uh, self-understanding and self-identity is because they have they are so phenomenologically central to bodily life and to living as bodily creatures um, that that to um, reverse them or to uh, to to change them changes not just you know my the the patterns of my neurology but changes 
uh, my relationship to the world and how I interact with the world it, phenomenologically in ways that are, are massive. There's some pushback on the fudging between the biological and the psychological and, and what's, what biology are we talking about, genetics, all these kinds of things. Um, how about, and I, I get there's problems, they're just part of why I pushed. Um, I want to hear again, though, on the, uh, on the charge of the, the, the initial one that I, that I mentioned, the charge of, of fairness, of the charge of these are people who want to participate, and the fact that these are people who want to participate in the, in the universal norms, in a sense, all the while, being, there, there are exceptions that want to be a part of the, oftentimes, they want to be a part of the universal pattern, um, not necessarily advocates who want to destroy the pattern, um, so, or, at least, or at least significantly modify the pattern uh, in their minds and say that the same way um, same-sex marriage um, totally rejects the male-female pattern. Whereas a transgender person who wants to come to the other, uh, you know, go from male to female or, ma or female to male and then have relation have a relationship and so forth, they actually want to conform. They just don't feel like they're in the right body or something on that order. Um, and, and so we have this charge of, well, I guess, yes, fairness. Uh, the exclu there, there's an inherent exclusion in there. In there. Never mind. What would you say to that? I, I'm just, I'm, again, I'm playing a little devil's advocate here and, and asking what you two would say because you've thought about it more. No, look, I think these are really important questions. Alistair, were you going to chime in there? Did I cut you off? Yeah, so I think that we need to ask, what is the pattern? Um, when we're talking about this larger pattern that we participate in, I think that O'Donovan has it right when he focuses upon the importance of, um, he says, marriage fulfills and so makes sense of a feature of our common human biological nature. Human beings come into existence with a dimorphically differentiated sexuality clearly ordered at the biological level towards heterosexual union as the human mode of procreation. Now, when we're talking about the person who's a transsexual who wants to um, experience presence within a sense of um, psychological presence within that larger pattern um, within their the gender that they identify with I think we need to recognize that they can't achieve it in that form they're becoming part of that pattern would necessarily involve conforming to the um, body that they are born with so when we're talking about the gender identity if we can separate that from all forms of other psychosexual measurement any attachment to the biological body these are the sorts of issues that we're dealing with here when we're talking about someone who's a transsexual they have a very unusual relationship with their bodies so for instance someone who's a male to female transsexual they have no womb they do not have normal memories they have no menstrual cycle no biological clock they don't have the formative relationship to their bodies that women have they're not ordered mm. to procreation and so they're not participating in the larger pattern it's in many senses, it's a feminization of a male body and it remains a male body. And so mm. it's more saying this is a cul-de-sac. You can't get anywhere this way. Yeah, so mm. let, me, let me add to that and push on the other side of things, which I think is the fairness language, Derek, because I think you're right. A lot of people do have that. And um, one, of the, one of the problems I think that we have is that we have a sense of justice um, as a kind of fairness that is totally abstracted from uh, 
any kind of order or any kind of um, yeah, any kind of order. And so what counts as fairness within our society is treating everyone the same, regardless of any kind of differences between them. And there's a there, there are certainly like aspects of society where that is unquestionably appropriate, fitting, right to do. Before the yeah. law, right? There is yeah, no absolutely. order. Um, but there are other aspects of the world where what fairness and what justice mean are recognizing the differences inherent in certain situations and responding appropriately, a kind of aptness of treatment. And, you know, there's just a, a, a really, um, a really strong sense in which we have to, I think, push back and, and question some of the, the notions of justice and fairness that stand beneath this sort of debate. Uh, th yeah, that reminds me of a little article um, uh, Peter Lighthart had to, on the equality of equalities. Um, we talk about equality, and oftentimes we, we by equality we mean treating different things similarly. Uh, when, when in fact equality means you, you have to treat similar things similarly, and, and so the denial of all difference, uh, the, the 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 lack of recognition of difference. Um, Ironically, it, it's a creating it's it's it creates a flatness yeah. in the order of being. It's all just and this comes back to the original questions of it, does creation as given have sh a shape to it or is it just raw stuff, raw mass like it like Play-Doh? It happens to come in the shape of the Play-Doh jar. Yeah, that's not inherently what it's supposed to be. And what we're saying is, no, this is more like the action figure. It already came with the pieces attached and, and has certain certain limbs of movement. You can move them in certain ways. It's true. I had a, a Spider-Man with bendable wrists and, 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 and elbows and all that kind of stuff, but you couldn't fundamentally turn it into a, a different toy altogether. And that's maybe not an apt comparison, but, um, but yeah. The illustrations um, that you're making there about Play-Doh and um, toys, I think is important. It gets to one issue that... Um, O'Donovan brings up, which is the question of playfulness when it comes to gender and the way that transsexualism tends to focus upon it. He talks about private existence becoming a wide existential playground, freed from objective reasons, purposes and constraints. And one of the interesting things here is the difference between this sort of postmodern playfulness and a more pre-modern playfulness. Um, I've found C.S. Lewis interesting on this in The Four Loves when he talks about this ritual or masquerade of nakedness nakedness where we have um i think he refers to it as a pagan sacrament of sex whereas in friendship we stand for ourselves in love we're not merely ourselves but play parts representing masculinity and femininity more generally something that transcends us and that's bigger than us we express the highest sky father and earth mother he calls it and then we also give expression to the lowest to the ass of the body um he calls it this buffoonery of the body. The body is not just an instrument for our personal pleasure or self-expression, but it fulfills its natural part in copulative relationships. And so in our playfulness, we're caught up in the existence of this playful existence of the creation as a whole, the playfulness of the highest and the playfulness of the lowest. And this relationship of um, sex to these objective purposes, to this 
as it were, this third party entering in through childbearing, through um, marriage commitments, all these sorts of things, I think is very important because it frees it from this pure plasticity and this ordering merely to our own ends, which I think is at issue here. Yeah. Yeah. Th this, guys, we have just scratched the surface of this. Um, I found this very helpful. I hope we hope this uh, helps you, our listeners. Uh, th this is part of our goal here is not just for us to have a nice chat, but for the church to be edified uh, as, we, as we talk about this. And again, when we talk about these issues, we are talking about real people with real souls who need real care and love from a church that um, I'm scared at times in our, in our rush to maintain a clear witness. And, and so this is the body. This is that we lose... Our, our our eyesight on the on the personal reality of of hurting people and to hear the gospel and so so please do not as we main as we maintain a witness to the order of creation and God's will do not lose a sense of Jesus's eye for the personal broken people that he loves and wants to redeem um, with that we're going to wrap it up and uh, we hope you'll join us next time. Once again, please feel to rate and review this uh, this podcast on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Maybe, you know, make CDs and hand it out as Christmas gifts. I mean, it's a little early for that. It's a bit ridiculous at this point. But um, once again, thank you, and may the grace of Christ be with you today. <laughs>